Good morning. Today is Sunday, December 1st, 2019, and this is the epilogue to the Bethel class. Congratulations, you've finished 42 classes. I can't uh, tell you how proud I am of all of you for doing that. I know it's a very long commitment, and uh, I hope that it was worthwhile to you. What we're going to do today is this is going to be a very informal class. It will be the first and only really interactive class that we have in that I'm going to invite anybody who wishes to, zero pressure to do so, uh, to share your summary of the Bible as informed by Bethel and or your faith statement. And I'm going to bring the microphone over so that those who aren't here today can benefit from that. Or you can listen to it uh, a year from now and see how you've changed, because that's what should happen. It should change as you mature. So let's open with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father and God, I thank you so very much for these dear brothers and sisters in Christ who love you so much, want to fellowship with you so much that they have gone through this uh, very demanding class, uh, 42 classes. And... Uh, We thank you for the privilege of doing that, and uh, probably most uh, important now as we move forward in our spiritual walk is that now that we know these things, we're blessed if we do them. Help us to not fall into the trap of just seeking knowledge so we can say we have read the Bible, but to actually do the things that you have told us to do. And seek your will so that it becomes our will. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen. So what I'd like to do is just start with um, a volunteer who might want to explain to us or tell us, read to us, your summary of the Bible, Bethel, your faith statement. Do we have any volunteers? We'll do it. Okay. And what I'd like you to do, please, is to give your name first, and then go ahead and, and just start with it. Can I stand up? Sure. Jim says it's better. Okay. Well, I turned this in to Jerry a couple of weeks ago, and he said, well, you need to, need to add a few things, and by the way, it's uh, six times too long. So I, I, he told me to summarize it and put it on half a sheet of paper, and I did that. And that's one of, uh, lucky for you, that's the one I'm going to read, rather than, <laughs> than the three-page one. So I'll, I'll start now. The three days of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection drastically and irreversibly changed the entire world forever. Nothing else even comes close to this. Twenty centuries later, 7,100 miles away, those days made Christianity happen for me. The resurrection was the most awesome, most incredible event that ever happened, period. There's an overabundance of documentation from the day that proves this. Not only does the resurrection prove Jesus was God incarnate, but it demonstrates that we can be resurrected in multiple ways. 
while on earth we can die from sin and be resurrected to follow Christ now. And we can be resurrected from actual death to live forever. Now that's a good deal. Better than any deal we could get yesterday, right? The resurrection pulls the Old Testament together. The Israelites deviated from their covenant with God to be a blessing and endured cycles that all had the same stages. Blessings, complacency, apostasy, judgment, despair, call to God, deliverance, thankfulness, obedience, and then back to blessings. Their frequent sin or estrangement from God led them to despair with wars, famine, internal strife, destruction, foreign occupation, and exile. The Israelites desperately needed the Messiah foretold by the prophets to deliver them from sin. The cycles played out continually for Israel, and the cycles go on today for Israel and all nations. People go through or partially through the same cycles. Many people reach despair, but they don't call to God, and they're lost. Luke says in 11.9, ask and it will be given to you, but they don't ask. The whole world needs the Messiah. Then the resurrection pulls the New Testament together. The Gospels telling of the person of Jesus, the historical events, and the letters would all be questionable without the resurrection. There would be no real solution for dealing with mankind's sin. Paul explained in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not raised, was not raised from the dead, then what we preach to you is worth nothing. But it's true. God has been raised from the dead. So with Jesus' death and resurrection, all those books written over all those centuries by all those people link and fit together perfectly. And the Bible works, and I believe it. Abit, asset comes in many paths. But the real ascent is just me, and it's really simple. Some time ago, I asked God to help me be a better Christian. And later, I received the Holy Spirit. It was pretty obvious, really. And just like Matthew and Luke told me it would. They said it, I did it. So that's it. Oh, my my name is Steve McFarlane. (laughs) (laughs) Who's next? (laughs) 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 This is Hamlin. Would give your name first before you start. Sorry, Jerry. Okay, my name is Betty Hamlin, and um, as I understand the assignment, it was like to begin summarizing the lessons of Bethel. And then how your faith results. So from Bethel, what we've learned. Um, we've learned that God created the earth from nothing and all that he created was good. Mankind was created in his image and he has the responsibility to dress still and keep the world and the creation. Man was created for fellowship and to, glor- and, uh, to glorify God, to point towards um, his characteristics man's free um man's free will as angels free will um he wanted to be equal or we want to be equal to god and to have things our way which led to the fall 
The rest of the Old Testament shows that man cannot get rid of our selfish ways and to do what it takes to have a relationship with God, no matter how hard we try. Thus is seen in the Judges, and it goes circular around and around again. Um, the rest of the Old Testament also shows God's pursuit of man. God's solution was to come to earth himself in human form and to do what it takes to have a relationship with him and to pay the penalty for sin, which is death. Because uh, man can't really pay your own penalty and die and live afterwards. I mean, only God could do that for us. Uh, so Jesus came to pay our sins, to show us how to relate to God, to show us how to relate to each other, and to show us that what God wants to do for and through us. He'll show us our purpose, which is to glorify God, to love each other, and take care of the earth, which is our divine intentions. So what are we supposed to do with what we've learned? And I kind of call that as my moving faith statement. Okay, well, first of all, recognize that God is God and I am not. That I must submit to him daily, recognize that I keep climbing back on the throne and displacing God, recognize that he continually forgives us or me somehow, uh, and there's nothing that I can do that will permanently separate me from God other than rejecting him. And I still have trouble getting my head around all of that, really. Um, what am I to do again? Pursue him. Have fellowship with him by praying. Be honest with him because he already knows my heart anyway. So, and what he wants. I mean, that's what he wants is for us to have an honest relationship and not just empty prayers and pretending that God is, you know, everything's okay because we're not always okay. And that's part of my faith that he wants us to be honest with him. He wants me, uh, he wants to be with me, um, in spite of my failings, which is pretty unbelievable. Um, and recognize that every wrong I do is my doing it to him as well. It's not just getting even with somebody that everything I do impacts him. He has a specific purpose for me that only I can do with his help and guidance. He will give me the pieces of the vision to discern what he wants me to do. And I need to be in tune and listen to him to hear what that is and how he wants me to specifically act at any one time. He gives me everything I need to do his will and purpose in my life, but I can't do any of it without submitting to him. He gives me his power when I walk with him. Not all things are going to go my way. He uses evil for good, just as he did with, with Joseph. And he's not finished teaching me. So as each day is a, is a walk in his almighty power, if I choose to walk with him. So, again, my faith statement and walk will continue to develop as I walk with him. was longer than I thought it was. I'll, I'll take one. This, this is not going to be as long. But. Well, mine was too long, so. No, it wasn't. Good.
Can you turn that on? How do I get the thing? Just on here? I, I don't just leave it and just, no, talk. just talk into the mic. Okay. As you all know, my name is Jim Malasso. And I, I took a different approach to, to writing this, uh, uh, the, this, to thank God to share my faith statement. And, and, and this is what I'm doing, thanking him to share it. But there's been a lot taught to me by a lot of individuals in this church, especially uh, my friend Jerry. And uh, I thank you for that, Jerry. Life before accepting Jesus. I want to tell you what my life was like before I accepted Jesus was pretty much self-centered and was all about my future and i.e. climbing the ladder of success in business and making business friends. And God really wasn't in my life. It was all about me. Also making friends as well. When people asked if I was a church goer, I always said yes and stated I was a Christian. Now, not just going through the motions, because I really wasn't, until I accepted Jesus Christ really with this church. Life after accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. This is the next step. And I, and I, I was incorrectly saying I was saved. My son actually saved me, and I want, I, want, he, I want to read this story to you. My son Thomas, who is deceased now, witnessed to me, and for the first time in my life, I felt whole and cried as a broken man, but accepted Jesus. And, and they read some scriptures that touched my heart, and I won't go through those, but you know what they are. And we read from the Bible about my whole life. Since accepting Jesus and Lord, as my Lord and Savior, I have served three terms as an active deacon and have also become a Stephen minister. The Old and the New Testament solidified my belief. And as a deacon, you have to go through all the tenets and be approved and, and believe in the, the doctrines of the church. So that is part of becoming a Christian here and as well. Uh, one of my favorite sayings uh, or scriptures uh, is Isaiah 40:31. But they who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and grow in every way. They're, they're, they will walk and not be faint. So... I have been strengthening myself, and, and I thank everybody in here for my support, and Jerry and Betty and all, and Steve. Steve has become a real, I think he could be the next leader, right, Jerry? Sure thing, Jerry. All right, that's the end. So who's, you, who, who's next? Let me, let me try it. <laughs> okay, I'll come over and like Because I, I have uh, a written out. You know, the beauty, I think, of all of this is that everybody has a little different uh, contribution, a little different take on all of this, but we can all benefit and strengthen our walk and faith from the things that are said. So it's a continuous process. So I wrote these thoughts down. Well, my name is Oke Aquari. I have come to believe that faith is a journey. 
and that thinking and understanding are required. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, we read, Now faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. The Bible calls Abraham the father of faith in Galatians 3.7. The battle series has provided me with a deeper glance into God's creation of the earth and heavens above and the bountiful mysteries under the seas. The amazing thing about it all is that God had his divine intentions for all the creation to live in perfect harmony with him. In this plan, man is the beneficiary and brokenness is not desirable. Abraham is chosen to build a nation united with a destiny, with this God of creation. Like the Israelites of old, enslaved in Pharaoh's Egypt, I am enslaved by my own sins and needing redemption. The liberation offered the Israelites by God has today been offered me and others like me through Jesus Christ. An emerging nation of God's people was ruled by judges and prophets, some greater and others lesser known by their types of leadership. The capture of the act, act of the Covenant was a big deal, but God never gave up on them as he never gives up on me. A united kingdom in Jerusalem under one rule was achieved, but, but crumbling of the northern and southern kingdoms were noteworthy as Israelites backsliding in their faith journey. The other negative milestone was Babylon taking over God's people and the disarray that ensued for them, knowing that God's judgment was inevitable as it is for me someday. Jesus' arrival as the expected Messiah was a game changer in the scheme of God's plan for his people worldwide. He not only came as a human, but as a child. Here is where my journey of faith needs understanding. I struggle with the complete comprehension that he, the baby, human Jesus, died for me Okay, a quarry. He represents God's plan to build an everlasting kingdom of redeemed people. Jesus, as a teacher, shows how God's unconditional covenant and promises, first to Abraham, then to David, will be fulfilled for all believers. Faith is a gift from God and requires trusting Him in all situations and encounters. As the song goes, all to Jesus I surrender. All to thee I freely give. I will forever love and trust you in your presence daily live. I believe that the church is one foundation in Jesus Christ our Lord. In the community of, in the community of believers, we can grow. And as a people, the kingdom of God will last forever. And God's people will be filled with everlasting joy, living in harmony with God 
self, others, and nature. That's it. This is Holly Mancius, and I did do about three-fourths of the uh, condensing uh, but uh, summary, but I left that at home rushing out. So this is my face statement from what I remember from the lessons and the con- con- uh, condensing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth with me in mind. He knew me and loved me and had his plan ready to bring reconciliation because of my sin and the sins of the world. His hand has continued to be on our lives through the generations as he chose his people, made a covenant with them, guided them, disciplined them, and all held together by his love, grace, and mercy. He sent his son to be that reconciliation. Jesus came as a baby, fully God and fully man. He taught us how to live. He died for my sins and the sins of the world, willingly, as he came to this world to live. He rose again as he said he would and sent the helper as he said he would. I love the Holy Trinity and pray that I always love them and seek them and follow them. I know <clears throat> sorry. I know I was called by God to be his child and I'm so grateful he is persistent and patient. I am a child of God. God keeps his promises. Thank you. <laughs> Who would like to go next? I'm Ann McIntyre, and I did this totally differently. I did uh, two summaries, typewritten, chapter by chapter, on Bethel, so I won't bore you with that. (laughs) (laughs) But I do have a statement in faith, and I hopefully can... I just wrote this this morning. So I believe in the one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who created all nature and humans in in his image, which is good but allows a free will to man to choose him. Man always falls short of obedience to God, creating disharmony with him. But God does not abandon us. Uh, Sorry. uh, He doesn't abandon us, even though uh, we set ourselves apart from him. Throughout the Old Testament, man's will leads to many sins and destruction, both morally and physically, But God remains trustworthy through his grace, which is his holy gift to us. I believe in the Bible as the divine word of God, the learning guide given to us to understand who God truly is, his power, his forgiveness, and love for us. We learn from the Old Testament of man's separation from God. Sacrifices were the only means man had to receive forgiveness. So in the New Testament, 
God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to us to save us from our sins. Jesus is perfect and capable of, of sin. He is my guide uh, to learn how to live my life to honor him. He is my king, my boss, and my savior, who gives me the gift of salvation to be with him in heaven. My faith in him is my call uh, to use my God-given gifts to be a servant in his name. By my faith as a child of God, I have hope in the present and the future with God on earth and in heaven because of his resurrection from death. There is nothing I can do to save myself from sin. I have submitted to God's power and will. God does not give us all the answers during our life, but his will for us is to search his word through the Holy Bible. We have a Savior in him and need only to accept his love and guidance to do his will. I do not fear death. I look forward to it in my, for my ever-changing walk and taking Jesus' hand to go with him to heaven. I think you took it to that next step to combine your belief in the history. That's, that's great. Anybody else? Okay, what I thought I would do is I would like to hand out to you a... Uh, oh, yeah, here it is. Steve, could you help me here? I'd like to hand out to you something that occurred in... I guess you might call it a mentoring session that I have with a friend of mine. Um, he asked me to mentor him, but actually he's mentored me a lot more, probably. He's uh, maybe 20 years younger than I am. And he is, his name's Dennis Turnipseed, and he is the uh, COO, the chief operating officer, or the chief executive officer, actually, of Eyes on Me, which is a ministry to the inner-city high-risk youth in Houston, Texas, right here. We don't have to go across a big ocean, go someplace else to, to uh, minister. We can do it right here. We have plenty of uh, the fields are white for harvest right here in Houston. Um, and uh, so Dennis himself, even though he's a CEO of this organization, uh, he was very successful CFO for a number of public companies before he gave up a, a very large salary uh, and took a job at $75,000 a year uh, to be the CEO of Eyes on Me. And, but he goes from house to house, and he, uh, he ministers to people. And these are primarily uh, where he goes. They're primarily African-American youth, uh, many of them in gangs because they're looking for some kind of belonging. And he has developed... Uh, he and Eyes on Me have developed a method of giving the gospel. And that's what this picture is that I've, I've just handed out. And I wanted to go over this with you because it's something that I think would be very, very useful for us to memorize uh, and use for somebody who really has very little knowledge of what the gospel is all about. So let me go through this with you. This was taken over breakfast by, by me. And uh, I scribbled down what each of these mean. My, my writing's in red. Uh, Dennis has actually wrote the diagram himself. And so I want to go through this with you, and I think it's very useful. Uh, so if you take a look at number one, which is the circle that is in, in 
encircles the word brokenness in kind of the right side of the page, and I have put the meaning of it uh, in numbers down at the bottom. So uh, the first question is, you ask the person, do you agree that the world is full of broken human beings? And, of course, most people would say yes. And so the second thing is you ask the person for examples in their life, examples of people that they know, examples of what they see. The third thing is, uh, if you look over on the left, but that is not what God's intention was. He created the world to be perfect, in fact. And then number four, you see the, the arrow going from three to one, is that sin, uh, uh, man rebelled against God, resulting in uh, a separation from God, lostness and brokenness resulted. And that is sin where you declare independence. You say that you know best for your life. Number five, God's solution was, is that's on the bottom, God's solution was that he sent Jesus and so the arrow down is Jesus coming from heaven to earth. He died, that's the cross. He was buried, that's the cave. He ascended into heaven, that's the arrow going up, and he will return, that's the arrow coming down. Number six is <clears throat> if we will, that, that says return, it should be just turn. If we will turn, that is to say turn away from the sinful life we have now. Now when we say sinful life, we're not really talking about uh, you know, rampant promiscuity, drug abuse, killing other people. Those are sin, sins, plural. But when we say sin, what we're talking about is when we decide that we are the boss. We know best. As Betty said, finally recognizing that God is God and we're not God. But sin is thinking you are God. You are in charge of your life. That's the devil. That's right. So that's what the devil did that, right. And so that uh, is number six, turning. Secondly, is following Jesus. That is to say, know his teachings and following him. And then number seven, you will grow in relationship to God. You and God are reconciled and you can restore, restore yourself. Uh, even through, um, even though we're still in a broken world, and we're still broken in this world, we'll be broken uh, till the end, but many of those bones and many of those broken sinews will be healed by the time we do die. And then number eight at the top is that then we'll be reconciled and uh, we go to others who are broken and we minister to them. That is essentially the gospel in graphical form. Jerry, can I ask you a question there? Sure. Since it's a dialogue, we met him one day in one of your classes. I think you brought him in the struggle. Uh, struggle, huh? Uh, you've been going out with him, and he's been quite successful. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yep, that's right. Now, what I handed out here, this is a, do you all have this sheet right here? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you why I did this. Because when you do this, there'll be lots of questions. Okay. They will ask questions, hard questions. Questions that mankind have been, uh, followers of Jesus have been struggling with for centuries. And so, this is not the assignment that I asked you to do, <laughs> okay? But this is what I put down for myself to try to be able to flesh out what you might tell people with those ticklish questions. So I want to go through this with you. May I do that? I wanted to hand it out because some of this gets a little bit involved 
and my wordsmithing might have been a little bit difficult. So I think that having this in front of you as we go through it may be helpful. First, I talked about the creation, the one true and only God who reveals himself in nature, his word, the incarnate Jesus Christ, his spirit, and my own heart created the universe out of nothing. While this is beyond our comprehension, all man-made theories addressing creation has either fallen short or concedes that some unimaginable intelligent force was behind it. All that God created was perfect, mankind. The pinnacle of God's creation was mankind, woman and man. God created mankind to have love for and pleasant fellowship with him for the purpose of glorifying him, that is, reflecting within mankind's mortal constraints God's divine characteristics. In this intended love between creator and obedient creature, peace and harmony prevailed between God and mankind, within mankind's own psyche, mankind with his neighbor, and mankind with nature. God gave mankind the universe as a gift to protect, preserve, explore, make productive, and responsibly enjoy its treasures and mysteries. Because God desires mankind's love, God gave mankind free will, without which love is an impossible and fraudulent absurdity. God was aware that mankind could use its free will to disobey, reject, hate, and dishonor God, but he apparently concluded that it was worth the risk. God placed in the heart of every human being, one, the knowledge, conviction, and instinct that God exists, and two, the insatiable desire to find God in fellowship with him. Due to mankind's profound brokenness, the realization of this fact has been rendered opaque, unrecognizable, and nearly imperceptible. But the fact that it exists is proven by mankind's incessant practice of filling that place in the human heart that is intended to be occupied by God with every sort of imaginable worldly stimulus. Evil, one of the great questions of mankind. As Augustine said, undo malo, whence evil? Where did evil come from? The origin of evil and why God permits his continued existence has confounded mankind from the beginning. We do know these things about evil. Number one, evil was not part of God's creation, since we know that God created everything good. It's sort of like an original part of God's goodness gone bad. Since God also created angels, and they were also created good and endowed with free will, we can see how Scripture describes the emissary of evil, Satan, as a fallen angel. In fact, evil requires good in order to exist. This is because evil may be described as desiring good things, but going about acquiring good things uh, in the wrong way, or to excess. Since evil hates God, its single and determined purpose of it is to rupture and ultimately destroy God's originally intended love relationship with his creation, especially that between God and mankind. The tragic rupture of the love relationship between God and mankind. Evil has successfully seduced mankind to acquire good things either in the wrong way or to excess, thereby disobeying God and rupturing the original love relationship between God and mankind. This has caused a hard rewiring of mankind's nature from one that originally thought only about those things that are holy and God-pleasing, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy that led to behavior that expressed love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, courteous cooperation, hopefulness, trustfulness, perseverance, humility, generosity, love of service to others, and hospitality. Two, 
a permanently altered human nature that now naturally inclines to idolatry, impurity, substance abuse, phobias, abuse and debasement of others, hatred, discord, envy, jealousy, malcontented covetousness, indolence, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, insatiable greed, selfishness, hunger for domination of others, ingratitude, brutality, treachery, love of pleasure, the tyranny of many horrible and harmful perversions, obsessions and addictions, and many other depravities. This hideously distorted human nature that was not part of the original creation has resulted in many physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual disorders within mankind, a destruction of the original lovely relationship between people, and a misuse, abuse, waste, and destruction of nature. The most tragic consequence of man's rejection and disobedience of God is the seemingly hopeless rupture of the love relationship between mankind and God. This is because God is perfect holiness and would violate his own cap character by forgiving such unrelenting disobedience, showing him to be even more hypocritical than fallen mankind. Sin. Sin is my tragic rejection of and rebellion from God due to my acceptance, belief, and living of the delusion and lie that I can find fulfillment, contentment, joy, security, and a sense of peace and well-being on my own, independent of and apart from God. What is God's solution? So what is a loving God to do with a sinful, depraved, and disobedient humanity that he nevertheless deeply loves? First, God promised in the aftermath of the fall that he will eventually destroy evil and somehow restore the relationship between himself and mankind by the work of some mysterious agent that will, in the process, himself be injured. Second, God gave mankind over to its sinful lusts to reap their devastating natural consequences so that many might be motivated to turn, that is, repent of, their destructive thoughts and behaviors and seek and restore and to seek and restore their relationship with God. Throughout history, however, mankind has arrived at the sickening and disheartening conclusion that it is powerless on its own to successfully make such a turn, that is, repentance. Third, God initiated a magnificent plan by which he created a unique nation from which would emerge this mysterious agent that would restore the relationship between mankind and God while preserving the integrity of God's character. This plan began with the calling of and covenant with Abraham. From 100-year-old Abraham and 90-year-old Sarah was miraculously born the child Isaac, from whom was born Jacob, renamed Israel. The nation Israel, the descendant of Israel, the descendants of Israel made their exodus from Egypt approximately 560 years later, as the nation of Israel then numbering about 2 million souls. This nation of Israel has been crafted by God into his instrument to restore his original relationship with mankind. Over the next 1,400 years, God taught, encouraged, guided, and disciplined the nation Israel as he taught its citizens, A, who he is, B, that there's only one of him, C, that he is the creator of the universe and everything in it, living and inanimate, D, his characteristics of omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, transcendence, eternality, immutability, and perfect purity and holiness. E, that although he may be known to exist by observing the universe around us, he may be properly and adequately known only through his revelation to mankind, not by reason. F, that he loves mankind deeply and cares a great deal about how we live and treat each other. G, that Israel's purposes include 
to, one, spread this knowledge about God to the other nations throughout the world, and two, be the medium through which the mysterious agent will emerge who will restore the relationship between God and mankind through forgiveness while preserving God's character. All of this was communicated and interpreted to Israel through the mediums of circumstances and prophets, starting with Moses in 1446 B.C. and ending with Malachi in 444 B.C. and John the Baptist in about 25 A.D., all of whom called for Israel's national repentance, that is, turning away from their willful independence of and rebellion from God in preparation for the coming Messiah promised from the very beginning of man's alienation from God portrayed in the fall, all the way through all of the prophets. The mysterious agent that ultimately emerged from the nation of Israel to restore the ruptured relationship between God and mankind turned out to be God himself, residing in the form of a devout, penniless, homeless, humble, wise, obedient, charismatic common laborer from the despised town of Nazareth, eldest son of the peasant girl Mary and God's Holy Spirit. Jesus taught the citizens of Israel how they should live with each other, how they should understand themselves, how they should understand God in order to find a fulfilled, contented, and peaceful life and understand who he was, the promised Messiah, and the primary reason that he had come to die for the sin of the world. Again, the sin. What is sin? Sin is the belief that we know best for our life and rejecting God. But many realized, even as Jesus taught, that the things he commanded were actually impossible to fulfill, and his teaching resulted in violent indignation, rejection, and opposition from the leading religious leaders of Israel and the governing Roman establishment. As a result of the response of violent opposition to Jesus' teaching and self-identification, he was tried and found guilty of blasphemy by Israel's religious leaders in a mock trial that violated their own procedural laws. Blasphemy was punishable by death under Israel's laws, but Roman law did not permit Israel to carry out the death sentence. So Israel's religious leaders collaborated and bullied their Roman overlords to try, humiliate, torture, and murder Jesus by crucifixion, the most heinous form of execution known, and thus reserved only for slaves, non-Romans, and traitors. In Jesus' horrible death, an incomprehensibly powerful event occurred. God made the sinless Jesus to become sin itself as the ultimate guilt sacrifice on behalf of mankind. So that in Jesus, all of those accepting this transcendent act of selfless love may become reconciled to God. In order to be reconciled to God, I am required to know, accept, and trust this act of selfless sacrifice by Jesus on my behalf. Since the atonement, that is, the event resulting in man's reconciliation with God, through Jesus' death on the cross is a fact that is infinitely beyond our human comprehension. I'm not asked to accept any particular explanation or theory of how this is accomplished. I'm indebted to C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity for the ideas in this section. Example, I can eat my dinner without understanding exactly how it nourishes me and yet still receive its benefits. Similarly, I can accept what Jesus Christ has done for me without knowing how it is accomplished. In so much of human history, the actual explanation behind many of the mysteries of nature turn out to be totally different from what was expected. No doubt it is the same with the atonement. Nevertheless, here's a theory that at least makes sense to our finite minds in explaining the infinitely unimaginable. 
Fallen mankind had gotten itself into an inescapable hole by believing that he belonged to himself. Therefore, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. Rather, he's a rebel against God who must lay down his arms or surrender to God. This act of surrendering is repentance, which means unlearning all of the self-conceit and self-will that mankind has been training itself in for thousands of years. It means killing a part of myself, undergoing a kind of death. That part of yourself is the self-will. But here's the difficulty. Only a bad person needs to repent, but only a good person can repent perfectly. So obviously, we cannot do it on our own. But God cannot do it for us because God in his own nature has never had to surrender. He's never had to suffer. He's never had to submit or die. Nothing in God's nature corresponds to this process of repentance at all. But if God became a man, he could surrender his will, suffer and die because he was a man. And he could do it perfectly because he was God. This is merely one way of looking at the explanation behind the atonement, but it's neither the fact of the atonement nor what I'm expected to believe in order to be reconciled to God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, well documented by many contemporary witnesses, is proof that what Jesus said would occur, that his sacrificial death results in salvation and redemption from those who believe that what Jesus did will restore their relationship with God. When Jesus died and ascended to the right hand of God the Father, he left the Holy Spirit as a permanent helper, teacher, guide, and encourager to reside in the heart, that is, the intellect, will, and emotions of believers. One of the miracles that Jesus' sacrificial de uh, death did was to redeem believers. Now, let's define redeem. The act of one person redeeming another is that of the former purchasing the latter out of slavery, bondage, or death. Jesus' death redeems a person from contemporary and permanent separation from God. This separation results from a person's rejection and rebellion from God, claiming personal independence and the outcome of ultimate destiny in himself, resulting in hatred, resentment, fears, perversions, obsessions, and addictions of all kinds. This is done by God somehow and miraculously changing my, this is done by God somehow and miraculously by changing my worldview, my values, my priorities, my desires, and my tastes. I'm thereby redeemed or rescued or freed from a life of thought and behavior that deprives a person of the fullness of life God intended, including fellowship with God. I am changed from the inside out, not by faking it and hope that it seeps into inside. God the Holy Spirit is working in me to will and to act according to His good purposes. But I must be a willing, eager, and cooperative collaborator in this process by surrendering my will to Jesus Christ. He will not force me. I must voluntarily surrender it. And in this process of my lifelong transformation into a new creation, I am slowly changed from that nasty, selfish, vindictive, hateful, cruel, and broken person into the kind of human that God originally created and intended me to be. Jesus taught that eternal life is knowing God. So eternal or spiritual life begins right here and now. I am being trained for knowing and loving God with all of my thoughts, words, and deeds here and now, so that when I physically die, and first in the Spirit and then in full resurrected form upon Jesus' return, I join God the Son, who is now with God the Father, that communal relationship will indeed be a paradise for me.
So that gives you a, a little food for thought about some of the questions that might come up uh, as we go through this, because I think that we really need to be prepared to, with confidence, be able to explain what we've come to believe in some of these very, very difficult explanations. For example, the, <laughs> the church doesn't really like addressing, the organized church doesn't really like addressing the how of the atonement because you can't explain it. But they ought to just come out and say that. It's, if we could explain it, that would almost mean that it's not real because how in the world do you restore a relationship that's so broken? But we could give examples of maybe what it's like. And so I, I, I feel that that's one of the problems that the church has in its ministry is that it avoids the hard questions. Go ahead and hit them face on and admit where we don't know the answers right now. But here are ways that we can kind of live with it anyway. So I just want to say again what an incredible pleasure it's been being with you folks. You all, you'll have become just wonderful uh, friends and I hope that we can develop our friendships even more as we go forward. Let me close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you so very much for this great experience over the last year and a half. And I ask that you go with these dear souls and help them to be uh, your ambassadors uh, to others that you love but are far from you. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'd like to do something. Sure, can we all put our hands together and say a prayer for Jerry? Okay. He's, he's a good leader of this church, and we need to keep him healthy. <laughs> there you go, you're in. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to be together with this group. I thank you for all that you do in this class, and, and I thank you for Jerry and Betty, the catalyst of this class, that. Uh, that we keep them healthy, keep them strong, don't give up on their efforts to, to do the, what Jerry was saying here. This was an awesome piece today, and we ask that you bless him and his family and all the people here as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, folks. And will you type up your... Yeah, I will, and I'll send it to you. Yeah. I just wrote it this morning.